we're going to be addressing one of the questions of the many questions that we have been trying to answer as a church in the last few months. So we asked the question of Bristol, of friends and family. We asked the, uh, the cyber world as well. What would you ask God? If you could ask God any question, what would you ask him? And we've been trying to answer some of those questions from a, from a kind of Christian perspective, from a Bible perspective in the last few months. And today we're going to address the issue of justice. Uh, what about justice? Why is there so much injustice in the world? And that's the question I'm going to try and answer this morning. Um, I'm no great follower of, of football, particularly. I, I enjoy watching a match. I used to play a lot. Uh, but a story uh, was pointed out to me this week that you may have also come across. Um, the outgoing executive chairman of the Premier League is about to step down. He's been in post for about 19 years. And according to the BBC, anyway, he, uh, his salary is something like two and a half million pounds a year. That's a sum uh, per year that is more than most of us would, would earn in a lifetime, considerably more, actually, unless, uh, unless you're not at all like me. Um, anyway, maybe you earn more than I do. Um, now, it's been decided that in his retirement, he needs uh, a big thank you gift. And so it's been asked of all the Premier League teams to contribute towards a five million pound kind of retirement gift, um, which is it's considerable. Now, you, you might think, well, so what? There's loads of money in the Premier League. Why shouldn't he have a five million pound retirement gift? Um, if anyone's planning for mine, then, you know, there's a, a marker to put down there. <laughs> Chandos House was a, just around the corner from this building, was the, the last Bristol-based um, rehab center, the last one in Bristol. It closed and is closing its doors because it couldn't raise £100,000 to provide this much-needed help and care for people caught in addiction here in Bristol. The question for this morning is, why is the world so unfair? Why does it seem so unjust? What about all this injustice and unfairness in the world? I want to read to you a bit of the Bible. It's a bit of the Old Testament, actually, uh, written and spoken to the Jewish nation um, by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 58, in fact. He said this, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away uh, from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly come. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. Uh, he will answer you and cry, your cry for help, and will say, Here I am, if you, do not, if you do away with the yoke of the oppressed, with a pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your nights will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. 
Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins or rise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of of streets and dwellings. As I said, the question for this morning is, why is there so much injustice in the world? I guess there's a question behind the question, and there there usually is a question behind the question. Certainly when people are addressing, uh, particularly Jesus actually, there's a question behind what's being asked. So the question behind the question this morning must be this. Why is there so much injustice in the world, and why doesn't this powerful, loving God do something about it? Why doesn't he do something? Why isn't something being done about all of this unfairness? And for each of us, our minds will go to a different injustice, a different kind of unfairness that we find particularly abhorrent, and we would say, yes, why not? Why isn't something being done about that? You see, even the most casual of observers would probably concede that justice or fairness is a good thing for any society or culture. I don't suppose anyone here who would put their hand up and vote for more injustice. They might disagree about what injustice is, but they wouldn't vote for, no, actually we need more unfairness. I'd like a a less fair society, please. People wouldn't do that. As I say, we'd probably uh, disagree on the peripherals, certainly politically we would. Some of us would feel like, well, the problem is we need to, there needs to be the tax the rich more. That, That would solve the problem. And other would be, no, no, we need to do something different. We would be quite separate on the peripherals. But on the center, we'd be in agreement. Let me explain what I mean. If I broke into your house, punched you in the face, and stole your TV, you would want something done about it. We do have a sense of justice. However, the peripherals might be different. Children are like this. Children have an innate sense of justice. I was a primary school teacher for some time, and I have children of my own. And the cry of, that's not fair. I'm sure you would have heard that if you're parents, if you know any children. If you don't know any children, just get ready for that. <laughs> that's not fair. My brother got something I didn't get. Where's the justice? If you... If you agree with me on that, on that basic point, that there's an innate sense of justice in you and in us. Well, actually, just think about this. You also teach children the difference between green and yellow. There's no passion in a child around the difference between green and yellow. There is massive passion around whether I've been fairly treated or not. They, they just don't compare. And if you agree with that, here's a question for you. Why? Why, why do you care? Why does it make any difference? Where does that sense of righteousness, of justice, of fairness, where does it come from? Where does it come from? The Bible is pretty clear. It comes from the fact you're made in God's image. You're made in his image. So there is that right built into the fabric of everything around us. There's something that calls back to God as the fairness and the justice that he would seek to bring. Your concern might go towards social justice, actually. That, that might be where you would focus this question. You might say, well, it just, how come the rich just keep getting richer and the poor seem to just get poorer? Why, how, why does that keep happening? Or you might say, well, what about homelessness or the lack of available resources for people caught in addictions that we've, we've mentioned or the disadvantage? Why does it just seem so difficult to sort this thing out? Why isn't something being done? 
If those are your issues, if those are the things that keep you awake at night, if this is your question, then you might be surprised by the passage that we began with. Because you have a surprising advocate in the Bible and actually in God himself. God is much more interested in injustice than you are. Much more. And actually, well, the passage actually was written to a religious nation. And and it was written to people who wanted to do the right thing. Actually, their whole society, their whole culture was bound together with religious observances. They wanted to... uh, to do the right kind of worship. They wanted to remember the religious days and have the right feasts and all those sort of things. They were very concerned with these things. And actually what the prophet there in the passage we started with is doing, he's calling them out and saying, look, you're doing all this stuff, but you're missing something. You've forgotten something really important. Something's missing from all this religious observance. And actually Jesus did exactly the same thing. Jesus obviously lived thousands of years later than Isaiah, but he said this, beware you teachers of the law, you religious people, he says. They walk around with flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most most important seats in the synagogues or in the churches and the place of honor at banquets, but they devour widows' houses and they make a show of their lengthy prayers. It says these people will be severely punished. That's Jesus. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Little baby in a manger. This is him speaking. He's riling against injustice. Well, you might say, well, I'm not religious. We don't live in a religious society. What on earth has it got to do with me? It's got nothing to do with me. Why bother me with all this if this is written and directed towards the religious Well, the essence of the error, what was behind the problem was an external focus. They were interested in what was outside. And what they neglected both in Isaiah's day and in Jesus' day was something internal, something inside. Something of the motives of the heart had been completely forgotten and ignored. Now, that sounds a bit more like a culture we're familiar with, focusing on the externals. It might not be the way we look, it might be that, but it might, really, might not be that so much. What about this? Am I, am I being seen as successful? What about my reputation with those around me? What about what my family and what, about what my friends and colleagues, what about what they think of me? It's externalizing the problem. The question of injustice and what's being done about it also reveals something of that externalization of the problem. Because it's, it goes something like this. Why doesn't someone do something about this? Why doesn't someone else do something about this? Something should be done. Why isn't it being done? Why, why isn't someone out there, why isn't some politician doing something about the problems that I see around me? Why isn't someone fixing this? And actually what the Bible tells us is that the brokenness and injustice that we see around us that frustrates and angers us, and rightly so, is just a reflection of what's inside our own hearts. That what has resulted in injustice and unfairness is in fact just a reflection of something that's been within us all along. Paul, one of the New Testament writers, 
He, he says it like this in Romans chapter 1. He says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Furthermore, just as they didn't think it worthwhile to retain any knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they did what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They were gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invented ways of doing evil. They disobeyed their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they knew God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. He says, inside, there is something very badly broken. And rather than worshipping God, they began to worship each other, and they began to worship things. They externalized what should have been internal. And this brought about such a brokenness, and that brokenness spills out into the society and the culture around, which gives us the injustice that we perceive. The Bible shouts against injustice louder than you or I do. It does, much louder, with much more authority. But it says this, the solution is found first in the mending of our internal brokenness. That's got to be fixed if this is going to be fixed. The message of Christianity is a message of Jesus righting wrongs. It's a message of doing away with injustice and unfairness. But it doesn't start, start out there with somebody else doing something. It has to start within our own hearts in me. And it has to start in you. Actually, behind this, there's a Bible idea. There's something the Bible is putting up instead of the brokenness, instead of the injustice and unfairness. And that is actually a Jewish idea, the idea of shalom. Now, you probably know that shalom means peace, and you might have heard people say it to one another in a greeting occasionally. Now, we don't have such a rich understanding of this word than, than the people who wrote the Bible would have done, but we do need to if we're to understand what the Bible is saying about correcting injustice, because shalom doesn't just mean peace as in the absence of war. So we might say, well, a country is at, is at peace, and we think that's a good thing, or a country is at war, and we have a very binary understanding of the two. But shalom means so much more than the absence of war. Actually, shalom does, it does mean social justice. It means an interwovenness in a community. It means a happy community life, prosperous between family, friends, and neighbors. It means an interconnected society where each member is willing to give something of themselves for the good of the whole. It means more than that even. It means an interwoven society stitched together by God. Tim Keller, a preacher from New York, he describes it with this illustration. He says, imagine I've got an armful of threads, just armfuls of them, and I kind of throw them on the floor in front of you. What would you have? Well, you'd have just a mess and it would be tangled. Some would be hidden. <coughs> Some might be more prominent. But you'd essentially just have a mess 
of threads. And he says, now contrast the mess that I've thrown on the floor in front of you with, a, uh, with something woven together, with something woven on a loom, where each of these threads is woven in amongst all the others, where each one is supported and supporting, where the colors and the designs begin to show themselves. You have something which is, both, which is useful and helpful, both for the threads individually, but externally useful as well. That's the idea of shalom. It's the idea of that interwovenness, that interwoven peace, prosperity, and goodness right into the family and out into the community and beyond. That's what the Bible is saying. That's what we're after. Now listen, that's a much deeper and richer idea than some sort of legislated rightness in society. And the Bible is saying that's what we're after. That's what, that's what makes humans thrive. In that passage we started with, it, it said... What we're after here is like a well-watered garden. And we don't have to think about that too much in our country. Except for this last summer when we did all of a sudden, didn't we? Suddenly we had to think about, my goodness, I have to water the garden? How do you even do that, you know, in our country? It just rains, doesn't it? Well, no, you have to water it. We had various plants in our garden just die because we were like, oh, so we ought to have watered that. And the Bible is saying, what, what God wants for this society, for us, for you... It's like a well-watered garden, something which is thriving. So the heat of the sun, the external pressures that come on that culture, actually don't destroy it, actually they make it thrive. Why? Because it's well-watered. And that shalom is that peaceful community, is what God is putting forward in the Bible. And actually, we might cry for justice. We might shout for justice. I need justice. I'm after justice. And then God says, okay, let's start. Let's start with you. Let's begin with me. Ah. Ouch. Suddenly, the external attention, my focus of crying externally for justice, the spotlight turns into my own heart, and my cry for justice becomes a cry for mercy. I'm not saying justice, justice, justice. Oh, I need mercy. That's what I need. Because I recognize that all the things that I rile against and angry with in the society around me are a reflection of what's inside. And I say, God, mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Jesus told a story about a religious man and a cheat. And it goes something like this. Two men went to church or to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee a religious leader, someone very prominent in the society that they lived in. And the other was a tax collector, someone hated, someone who was in league with the Romans. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I'm not like this other, these other people, like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I have, says the tax collector before God, or says the Pharisee before God. But the tax collector, it says, stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his chest and he said, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. The tax collector in that context would have been at the forefront of injustice in their society. He was working for the hated Roman invaders. 
And whilst working for them, he was skimming off huge sums of money for himself, uh, whilst all the time being protected uh, unjustly by the Romans. He had, he had it every which way. He would have been hated, and he was a cheat and a liar. And yet he found justification with God. He found peace with God. Why? Well, because repentance is the beginnings of a changed heart. Repentance is the beginning of that heart change that is necessary if we want to change out there. If we want injustice to change out there, we have to accept the spotlight on our own hearts as well. We have to. It would be inconsistent not to. It would be hypocritical not to. We have to allow the spotlight to shine on us. On us. Jesus himself, of course, suffered the injustice of the cross. He didn't do anything. He'd done no, he hadn't sinned. He'd done nothing wrong. There were trumped-up charges brought against him. Even the people bringing the charges couldn't agree with each other. And yet they so wanted to get rid of him, they ignored the just process so that he would be killed on a cross. Himself, without blame, takes the blame. And he accepts the consequences and dies in the place of cheats and liars like me and like you. Gives himself so that we would know not justice, but mercy. And we could know God's goodness and righteousness. The Bible puts it like this. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. An incredible transaction. That's the heart of Christianity, to change what's inside. It says, yes, yes, we can be angry with an external shouting for justice. Yes, we can and we should be. But it has to start inside. It has to start in our own hearts. He provides the mercy that we desperately seek, that we earnestly need by dealing justly with injustice that's what he does on the cross he deals with it once and for all finally and the call to those who shout justice justice is okay what about your heart and what about your heart now what about what's inside you right now do you are you like the pharisee who's crying out someone should do something I'm all right, someone should do something. Or are you like the wretched tax collector who says, I know, I know it starts inside. Please have mercy on me. You might want to wonder where you are on that journey. We saw someone go through a, a pool today who's saying, yeah, I know, I know I need help. I know I need God's help. I know I'm trusting, I'm relying on him. That's what you need to do if you've never done that before. You need to turn to God, ask for mercy, ask for forgiveness, and then the the heart begins to change. The Bible puts it like this, it says, you've got hearts of stone, and we heard that described earlier as we read a passage from the Apostle Paul. You've got hearts of stone, they're unable to respond, it's just rock-like in there. I was thinking about some of the stones on the beaches I've been at, and even when you hit them, they just shatter. There's nothing malleable about them, they just shatter into shards and into pieces. And God says, I'll take that heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll 
I'll give you my heart. I'll change what's hard, what just shatters, and I'll give you something that is now responsive to me and ultimately responsive to those around you as well. We'll finish our meeting in a few minutes' time, but you might want to carry on this conversation. There'll be people here at the end of the meeting that you can continue to talk to. You might have watched Adam get baptized and think, I need to know more about that. You might have heard something we've said or heard something I've read from the Bible and thought, I'm interested in that. You must pursue that. You need to pursue God. It said, God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Seek after God. Have your heart changed. Now, of course, injustice goes beyond the heart as well. And as believers, as people who follow Jesus, we should be doing justice. It's not just that we resist injustice, we need to do, do justice. And much of the Old Testament, in fact, many of the Old Testament writers were shouting that very loud to the people who should have known God all along. And they used some very choice language. Some of the, the prophets who didn't write so much, some of that language is very choice when they're speaking to Israelite people. They're calling people cows and they're absolutely riling at them. Why? Because we need to do justice as well. We need to be not just uh, hearers and speakers of the word, but doers of the word as well. We might not have been superb at that in this church so much in the past. We've had a go, but we need to do more. And it's great that we are doing more with each passing month. God seems to be opening this up to us in an amazing way. I want to just say three ways that you as a believe already might like to respond we have our city hands project that city that uh, jason thorne has read uh, has led so well for for many years and that's a a way of just helping people practically in their homes and gardens maybe painting maybe doing a bit of gardening maybe tidying some hedges that kind of thing and you can speak to jason or you can find out at our welcome desk how to get involved with that and people give their needs in and then the teams go out week by week throughout the year to help bring some relief also involved in the bristol night shelter which many churches in the town are doing it's great to work together with other churches to do that i think something like 40 of us have already signed up to be part of this year's winter night shelter which means we're providing uh, shelter and meals for people who don't have anywhere to sleep in bristol if you'd like to be part of that then you can find out more information at our welcome desk at the end and then finally our street life project uh, which is every Saturday night feeding some hundred or so people who don't have a home every week in Brunswick Square, making sure they have a hot meal and someone to talk to. And you might like to get involved in that. And if you would, then please find out about that at the welcome desk. Here's ways that we as believers can respond. We can do justice. We can say, yes, I, I agree with the, the cry of why isn't there more justice, but actually there's something I can do about it as well. So there's two responses really. If you if you're not a believer, then you need to look internally and say, well, look, what's the state of my heart? Do I need to cry justice or do I need to ask for mercy? If you are a believer, you might want to get involved in some of those ways where we can serve our city. Let's stand and pray together. Maybe the band could come back. Father God, we recognize that you, in sending Jesus, sent someone who was perfect into an imperfect and unjust world, a world that was very used 
to unfairness, that seemed to think that was a good way to do business, to do life. And Jesus came and stood as innocent one, punished in the place of cheats and liars like me. And Father, I thank you so much for doing that, so that that justice that was done, that, that the sin that was actually punished, means I can go free, means I can find mercy and not just justice. And I pray for those amongst us right now, Lord God, who are, who are recognizing that the spotlight that's gone externally into why isn't there more justice in the world is turned inside. And that cry for justice turns to a cry for mercy. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would find you right now, that they can be born again, a new start, totally new beginning, free from all that's gone before, born afresh, born into a life knowing God, full of your Holy Spirit, following you wholeheartedly, knowing the joy of knowing the Creator. Father, we ask your hand upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.